Well, when I was younger, I decided to try and be a collector. I thought, that sounds fun to have a collection of something. And so I decided to start collecting horse figurines because, you know, what little girl doesn't want to have a pony, right? Every little girl at some point says, I want a pony, mom and dad. And so I started collecting these little ponies and about five into them, I thought, I'm not a collector. I don't want to look at those things. I don't, what am I supposed to do with them? Where do they go? I, I just, this isn't really for me. Well, I came across an article with some interesting collections that people around the world have started. And studying my text, it just popped out to me as something that's very uh, interesting, I guess. And you'll hear what I'm saying in that. There's one man who decided that he should collect McDonald's items, McDonald's toys and boxes and clothing. And he ends up with 75,000 items of, from McDonald's, the Golden Arches. He has to build a, an addition to his home in order to house all of these things. Okay, another woman, much smaller collection, she decided that it was worth her time and effort and money to collect banana stickers. I literally didn't know there were more stickers than Chiquita. You know, I don't think I've ever bought a different banana than Chiquita banana. So I was like, wow, I guess you travel around the world and you go to get different banana farms. But I mean, at least it's smaller than the McDonald's stuff. She didn't have to add an addition. And then one other man, um, he, I think, is an introvert of all introverts because he started collecting do not disturb signs you know, from hotels. You know, I guess he needs 11,000 ways to say, keep out. So this man ended up with 11,000 of those little hangers on the door that says, you know, basically stay away, don't come in. And I, you know, it's just interesting to think about this stuff. And I, I have to wonder, what are they going to do with this stuff? Are their kids going to inherit it and fight over it? Uh, do they send it to a museum? Do they just send it to the dump at the end of their life? And it really, it's easy for me to sit back and kind of chuckle at these strange different collections and be confused about the why of it. But I wonder, is there going to be a time when we may get towards the end of our life and maybe we don't have a strange collection, but we might start to think, did we spend our life on the right sort of things? Did we waste our time or our money or our energy or our talents. Because I know that when people often get towards the end of their life, they can look back and think through some of the choices that they made. Well, our text this morning is going to help us to evaluate our lives based on God's standards, on spiritual standards, rather than material standards. And that's what we want to do as faithful Christians. So if you haven't turned yet to James, open your Bibles, if you would, to James 1, verses 9 through 11. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we seek to evaluate our lives according to spiritual standards and not material standards. You'll remember James is writing to the dispersed Christians, and he starts off encouraging them to turn to God through their trials, through the tough situations that we know that they're in because they've been scattered abroad. And he also encourages them to seek wisdom 
from God for the things that they're facing. And now he gets a little bit more specific on certain trials that they might encounter in our text this morning, the trials of having a lot or the trial of having a little. So let's read our text together. It says this in James 1, 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Well, this passage is striking to me because of the word boast. When I hear that word boast, it really jumps out of the page, at least for me when I studied this passage. Because when I hear that word boast, I often think of a definition, you know, like of someone bragging, someone who's really self-absorbed, maybe even my younger self when I was in school. You know, I was that one that had the good grade on the test. And so what, what do you do, right, when you're the one with the good grade? You walk around, and you're like, oh, what did you get? Oh, an 89? Oh, what did I get? You know, like a 100? I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> thanks. I know I'm smart. You know, I mean, we just, we think of, we think of that person who's just, out there, whether they're good on the athletic field, they've got good brains, whatever. They're telling people about how amazing they are. We think of that word haughty or self-absorbed, or we might even think about the mom who is really proud of her sons, right? My dentist, the one who cleans my teeth, I think her sons have never sinned. You know what I mean? I don't really think that, but the way she talks about them, it's like they could do no wrong. She just goes on and on about their accomplishments. Well, we are told as Christians to boast. And it's a striking thing that we're supposed to take pride in something. We're supposed to lift high or highlight, to be proud of. And we're supposed to talk about, we're supposed to thank, we're supposed to praise, we're supposed to tell others. And so we can see that this term boast doesn't always mean that it's a negative thing that it's actually used as a positive something that we're commanded to do. It says it simply in 2 Corinthians 10, 17. 2 Corinthians 10, 17 says it this way to us. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Which means that we are called as Christians to be proud of what we have because of what God has done. So let's write that down for point number one. You and I are to be proud of our high position. Be proud of our high position. We really see that in the very first few words of our text. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So what does it mean when James says the lowly Christian? Now, there's a lot of different definitions throughout the Bible that can be someone who is of humble circumstances, someone who is poor, someone who is downtrodden. But we know from the context of our verses that this is really a poor person, a person without a lot of money, someone that doesn't have a lot of goods, a lot of stuff. They really are uh, without. They're lacking financially. So that makes sense because remember, James is writing to the people who have left their homes, their jobs, They've been dispersed all throughout the region. They've picked up and left because 
of persecutions for being a follower of Christ. So these Christians, they've now moved away from what they know, from their regular life, from the stuff that they had, and they're starting fresh, many of them with nothing in their hands. And so what does he say to these Christians? He reminds them to boast or exalt in their high position, in the position God has placed them in. This would be quite an encouraging thing to someone who doesn't have very much stuff in their hands, right? The word exaltation means a height or a high place. This high position that they're to boast in is when we become a family member of God. When we are brought into God's family, we have this exaltation, this high position because of what God has does has done in our life. The standing we have before him is because of Christ's work accomplished on the cross. Now, this exaltation is not just something present, but it's also future. And I don't know which one comes to your mind because there's really both being brought up in this term. There is a future exaltation, and maybe you thought of that immediately. You thought about, yes, I can boast in my high position because one day I'm going to be in heaven with God, right? I'm going to be exalted with him. I'm going to walk in heaven with God. He's going to be there. I'm going to be worshiping him. And that's maybe where your mind goes. When we become Christians, we know we have that promise that we will someday leave this earth and be with him. If you want to flip over to James 2, 5, James 2.5 says it this way, bringing up kind of this future exaltation and then also our present. It says this in James 2.5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? We are heirs of the kingdom. We inherit a beautiful place, and it is a promise to the poor, the lonely, the destitute, and the rich. Anyone who is in Christ, we have that future exaltation to look forward to. But we have somewhat of a present, do we not, exaltation as well. It's like we know that promise is coming, but we've been given an ID card, right? We are a card-carrying member of that kingdom. Our picture's on it on our best hair day okay? <laughs> Our name is there. We have a seal. It's sealed by the Holy Spirit. It cannot be lost, even though, you know, sometimes I know we've misplaced our important cards here on this earth. We can't lose it. If we lose it, we gain it back. If we sin, we can't lose it. If we have a bad day, if we're down or lonely, no, we have been given this card that says we are a member of heaven, we have that now. We have that promise, that hope, that peace, that joy now, today, and for the rest of our time on this earth that we will in the future be exalted. But it should also affect our lives today, right? When we look at that James 2.5, we see that the poor in this world are going to be rich in faith. We have this rich faith now. We are saved from the penalty of our sins. We have a peace. We have the Holy Spirit living within us 
to make good choices, to have this authentic faith, to walk with God and follow his word. We not only need to look at our high position in the future and long for that and rejoice in that and talk about that, but we also need to think about the present, what God has given us now, and be at peace and hope-filled and joy-filled because of that. And even the poor and the lowly have this gift, right? It doesn't matter your status, your rank, your beauty, what language you speak, what country you come from. Every person is given this gift through Christ, through his work on the cross. Well, we are rich in Jesus Christ. We have God as followers of him, and that's something we should take pride in and boast about and talk about daily. But James also talks to the rich in this world, the people who have a lot of material goods and possessions, and that's where he turns in the next phrase in James 1, 9, and 10. He really brings up a different trial. Yes, it's a trial to not have very much, but it also can be very difficult when we have a lot as well. And so that's what we're going to look at for point number two. Let's write it down this way. We need to be proud of our low position. You and I need to be proud of our low position. Our text says it this way, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. The believer who is wealthy and has a lot of material goods, has a high status, has a big brain, has a lot going for them, we need to boast in our humiliation. And scholars have looked into this text to see whether or not this is a rich person who doesn't love God or if it's a rich person who is a follower of God, a Christian. And they have come to the conclusion that this is referring to a rich Christian, a rich brother, right? Someone that has wealth but is also a card-carrying member of the kingdom of heaven. Well, he tells them to be proud of or to boast in their humiliation. And this word humility means to be made brought to be made low or to be brought low. And the way I've worded it is an awareness and acceptance of our complete and total dependence on God. This humiliation is an awareness of and an acceptance of our complete and total dependence on God. This low position, it's not easily embraced because it does require humility. It's very much the opposite from what our world champions and from the attitude that we may have where I've got this. You know, I can do this. There's a problem. I'm just going to fix it. I know what to do. Let me get on that. Let me make my T-chart. Let me figure this out. Let me use my brains. Let me use my money to fix it. It's the opposite of really saying, I can do this, but it's a recognition of, I can't do this, Lord. I need you. I need you to work in and through me to, to fix these problems, to solve these problems, because we know that we don't bring anything good to the table. 
but rather God is the one who, when he humbles us, can work through us. And turn over to Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says it this way. It's very clear. It's very helpful for us to look at this scripture where it says the same types of things. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. We are not to boast in our wisdom. We are not to boast in our brains or our, the degrees we've got. We're not supposed to boast in the fact that we have moved up in our jobs to a top position. We're not to boast in our wisdom, it says, or in our strength. The health that we've acquired, our uh, workout gains, maybe, our beauty, our, the way our, our body is. You know, we're not to boast in that, Jeremiah says. And we're not supposed to boast in our riches, our home, our money, our cars, our, our vacations that we went on. Instead, it says, we're supposed to boast in our relationship with the God of the universe. Well, why is it so important that all Christians, rich or poor, need to accept this low position? Well, James also goes on to talk a little bit more about this. So if you want to turn over to James later in the book, James 4, 6, and 7, and then we'll drop down to 10 as well. James 4, 6, and 7 and 10. He says this, God opposes the proud. He's against the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. And in verse 10, he says it again, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Everyone in this room must recognize, first of all, that we cannot save ourselves. This low position means that each person individually, no matter your background, no matter how much you know about God, how many verses you've memorized, how many good things you have done, no matter how smart or whatever it might be, every single one of us, has to come to a place where we recognize we only bring our sin. We all bring our sin to God. We all come before him not saying, look at this, look at that. Instead, we say, God, I recognize who you are. You're perfect and holy, and you require that. And yet, I have fallen short. I have messed up time and time again, and I know that there's nothing that I can do in order to save myself. There's no good works. There's nothing that I could do. You know, if I had a list, God knows that if there was a list, I would follow that list. I would try to check off all the boxes in order to get myself right with him. But instead, he says that each person has to come before him and say, I need you. I need you to provide the way of salvation. You said there is a way, and that way is through your son, Jesus Christ. He lived that perfect life, that we already can look around and say we haven't done. And he went to the cross 
on our behalf. And rather than us saying, now I have to pay the penalty, the just penalty for my sins, instead you put that all upon your son for me. And through his life and death and resurrection, I am able to be right with you. That is the humble position that every person needs to come to. This means there's an equality for all of those who want to follow Christ. Rich or poor, we are all on the same playing field. There's no status or rank amongst believers because we all bring our sin to God and fall upon his grace to be saved and be made right. And then there's a daily humbling of ourselves, right? As we live a Christian life and we try to follow his commands, to live out his word, we come back to God every day and we say, Lord, I'm humble again. I realize I need your strength, your work. I need you to do this to help me to live out this authentic faith. Well, we know all Christians are called to be proud of their low position, but why is it especially hard for those who have money and wealth and things? Because, you know, when you have money, you can get what you want. You can fix your problems. You can provide comfort and leisure. You can have a life of luxury. Well, we are those rich Christians that James is writing to. Are we not? I, I mean, when I hear that, and when I was studying this, I thought, not me. I'm not the rich. He's not talking to me. Because I can look at somebody else and say, oh, they got way more than me, right? Look at her life. Look at what she has. But James is writing to those who have more than the basic needs of life. And I think when we look at our lives and what God has blessed us with, we are those rich Christians. Our pantries, when we open them up, even though our kids say this, there's nothing to eat, right? Yes, everyone, right? Or they open the fridge, mom, there's nothing to eat. I just went to Costco. There's 36 of those bars, right? And there's 48 of those, and you know, all those, and we have plenty to eat. We're not just eating rice and beans every day. We've got options. We've got cars, usually more than one. Sometimes we have other vehicles involved as well. We've got a closet full of clothes. Part of the problem is we don't know which clothes to pick to wear, right? Or we've got too much. We've got to bring them to Mercy Warehouse. We've got to clean out our closets because there's so many options. And we go on vacations and we eat out. And we have been blessed to have a lot of things. In fact, an individual making $35,000 a year in America. If you make $35,000 a year, you are amongst the richest 3.5% of the global population. They're just $35,000 a year. It's not wrong. It's not sinful to be rich. It's not a bad thing to have been given these blessings. And we're going to talk more about that later but we need to make sure that the abundance of what we have does not distract us from what matters most, from pleasing God and obeying his commands. So how can we boast in our low position? What are some practical ways we can apply that today? One of the first things that comes to mind is that we should accept our painful circumstances. 
Now, this is not hard to hear. This is not one I want to write down or want to embrace because when I look at passages like 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10, uh, this is a hard truth to consider. But if we want to accept the fact that we are in this low position in need of God, need to turn to him through everything, that means we also accept the difficult things that come into our lives. Listen to 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. It says it this way. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast. There's our word. It just jumps right out at you. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ can rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I don't, in my own flesh, I do not like that list weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, I think, no thanks, no thanks, no thanks, you know. No, I don't want any of that. But as a follower of Christ, we can see in this text that we can boast all the more gladly of our weaknesses. Why? Because we see the power of Christ working in and through us that really drives us to a dependence on God. When we're in a difficult situation, We really have our eyes open to our need for him, our dependence on him, our reliance on him. And it really draws us to say, God, you're the one working in and through me. Help me to get through this difficult circumstance. So rather than being frustrated with him or asking why, something that we can accept from our good God who's forming us and shaping us to be more like him. Another way we can accept our low position, is by associating with Christ. If we're going to be proud of who we are as a follower of Christ, we need to speak up for him. And we we know we hit these times on the soccer field, on the sidelines, or maybe at work, or maybe in our neighborhood, whatever it might be, where we have that moment where we could speak up for Christ. Ooh, there's that second. I feel it. I know. It's like, I start to sweat, right? Should I really say this? My heart's beating. And it's, it's in those moments when we are not ashamed of our Lord and Savior. We can speak up for him. We can speak about the truth gently and in love. But we want to make sure that our culture, which is so against what we're saying here, that hasn't quieted us, that we aren't being quiet because of what they're communicating, but that we're still bold and able to associate with Christ. And I know that's hard, and I know that goes against what you want to do. I know it requires a lot of prayer and preparation, but that is one way we can embrace this low position. And lastly, we can be grateful and thankful followers of Christ. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and you've lost some of that gratitude, that excitement, that passion, and saying, just God, Bring that back into my daily worship of singing songs to you, of praying to you, of talking to you throughout my day. Help me to be refreshed in my understanding that you are the one that humbled me enough to see my sin, and you are the one working through me for the rest of my life. May that fuel our worship and praise to him. And let's talk about that with others as well. 
That's one way to be proud. We know that when someone is proud, they are talking about it. And so let us say that and encourage those around us. Well, it can be difficult for the wealthy and the talented, the brilliant, to see their need to depend on the Lord. It's too easy for those who have acquired much in this life to see beyond what is here and now and look at the then and there. But James reminds us that this life is short and we need to think more about eternity and less about this life. So let's write that down for point number three. As James encourages us to ask God for an eternal perspective. Point three is to ask God for an eternal perspective. We see this in the second half of verse 10 and verse 11. And he um, says these words to us that the, the lowly should boast right in their exaltation and that the rich should boast in their humiliation. And then he says, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuit. And so we see these statements about the rich and poor alike. The flower of the grass, the wildflowers, they spring up. There's something beautiful. We see them out there. And many of the readers of this letter would have understood what James is talking about because in that area in Palestine, these beautiful flowers, they pop up and then they are gone fairly quickly. The sun is there beating down. The scorching winds come and all of a sudden, what was beautiful and glorious is now faded and drooped, and then it is used for fuel in the fire. You know, they scoop up those wildflowers, all that brush, and they throw it into the fire. And so we see that the fact that life is going to end, it's brief, it's short, it's here for a time, it pops up, and then it is over. Psalm 49 16 and 17 says it this way, Psalm 49, 16 and 17. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. We come into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. We're not taking any McDonald's stuff or banana stickers, right? We're not taking door hangers, but we're also not taking any of the things that we have acquired in this life. We are going to leave with the same that we entered with, right? Stand before God. Even Elon Musk and the poor beggar, they're going to stand before God with the same amount of things in their hand. This means that our wealth, our status, everything that we have accomplished in this life, it's brief and it's fleeting. And that really is a helpful reminder to us to think about what then are we doing with what God has given us? What are we pursuing in this life? We're told money matters. We're told possessions and things. I can't go on any sort of screen without seeing something I need for Amazon Prime Days, right? You've got to have this thing. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I have that love-hate relationship with Amazon. I don't know if you do because I can go, click, right? I, I think I need that. Click, oh, do I really need that? I don't know. You know, we can just so quickly get 
something that we want right then and there. We're told that we have, there's a lot of things that we need to be happy. We can look over the fence, we can look around Orange County and see a lot of things that people have that appear to be happy and think, oh, I need that stuff. We are told that we should be famous, that we should pursue having a following. I was told recently by a mom that her nine-year-old son, he walks around the house with a phone and films everything he does. Uh, look at me, I'm eating this, and uh, now I'm going outside to play with this toy. Look at this toy, I got it here. And I thought, why is he doing that? Why is he doing that at nine years old? He's doing that because it's important to be famous. You need to have a following. You, people need to see what you're doing at all times. That's what we're told, that we need to have a followers that, that want to see what we ate for breakfast, right? We're told that we need to be beautiful, that if we just buy this thing, if we just take this thing, you know, I have been told many times that I'm supposed to be drinking a thing of um, apple cider vinegar every day uh, or taking this product. And, you know, I'm not saying these things are wrong in and of themselves, but the messages that we hear in order to be beautiful, to climb the ladder, to have the stuff, to be happy, we're told to pursue the things in this world. And we need to be careful that we don't focus our energy on the here and now, but make sure that we're focusing on things that last. If you would turn over to 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10, I love that this text helps us to understand that desire for more in this life and helps us to kind of figure out what the problem is with that and what we should do. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. It says this, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, the desire to be rich, fall into temptation into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So we see in verses 7 through 10, he gives us reasons why we shouldn't desire to be rich. Now, it's not being rich, that's the problem. It's not the person who has the wealth. It's the desire and craving. Did you see that term pop out at you? The desire, the craving, chasing after this idea of having wealth. It says that we can't leave this world with anything in our hands. We've seen that before. That's one reason why we shouldn't desire to be rich. And then he really challenges us to be content with just food and clothing, just the basic things in life. I mean, this is really hard. This is a hard truth to be satisfied and feel like this is sufficient for what I have. What has God given me? What brains has he given me? What money has he given me? What family has he given me? What opportunities? And to be content with those things. It really does free you from the desire to crave and push and chase after things that we're not supposed to chase after. 
the desire to be rich brings temptation and distraction from what matters. Did you see that some even wandered away from the faith after their craving for this money, for this wealth? We see that God condemns the love of money when in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said that you cannot serve God and you cannot serve money. It is important that we are content with what God has given us. And that will help us to have an eternal perspective and not chase after everything that we see in this life. But he also addresses a few verses down the wealthy or the one who does have the wealth, right? Because that text was talking about those who are not content and chasing after it. But what about for us, the one who do have wealth? Well, look down at verse 17 in the same book, 1 Timothy 6. Look down at verse 17 through 19. It helps us to see what we need to pursue as women who do have a lot, who've been given a lot. It says this, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. Isn't that interesting when we were using that word boast a lot in our text today? That kind of a similar concept of haughty saying, I've got everything figured out. I've got it, you know, I've got it done on my own. It says, charge them not to be haughty, to think that they've got it all done nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, just like the flowers that fade and droop, right? It's uncertain, it's not going to last. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy, they are, the rich are, to do good, to be rich in good works. And I love that he uses the word rich again. The rich, you're supposed to be rich or full of good works, have a tons of good works, right? To be generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have wealth. This text is addressing the Christians who are the rich in this present age but we must use that wealth in a way that honors the Lord. And so a few sub-points taken right out of this First Timothy text are that we should hope in God. That's the first one. That text says that we should not hope in riches, but rather in God. We should trust him. He's the one who is stable and unchanging. He will not fail us. We need to turn our life over to God him and have our hope and security in him. And then it goes on to say that the rich are to do good works, to be rich in good works, to be full of good works. That our calendar should allow us to have time to do these good works, right? To look at others, to look at their needs, to be the one to meet the needs, to be the one serving, to use the wealth and the blessings and all the things that we have to benefit others within the church body and outside of the church body. The next thing that it says in our text is that the rich should be generous, should be generous. So that's the third subpoint to be generous. Our riches belong to God. We are given them as a manager or a steward of whatever we have. And we're supposed to use them in a way that would be freely giving to others. First of all, whatever church ministry that you're a part of, the Bible is so clear of passages like Galatians 6.6. 6. 
that wherever you benefit spiritually from, you are to give back some of that money that God has given you to the work of the ministry to support the lights and the AC and the food and the programs and the, all the things that go on, the staff, paying for the pastor. I mean, all of those things. And, and I know this is hard. I remember setting up my budget long ago and thinking, but I could... I could use this money. I got a plan for this money. We're, we've got four kids now. We got weddings to think about, colleges. You know, I kind of want to hang on to this money. It, it's a sacrifice to instead look at our money and say, God, I, I happily and joyfully give back to you some of what you've given me to the church. We should try to be generous. And as Pastor Mike says, be as generous as you can, as often as you can. I love that idea. Be as generous as you can, as often as you can. That will look different for different people. But as we go before the Lord prayerfully and say, God, what can I give? I need to be giving to my church, but how can I be generous with all the things that you've given me? Not just my money, but my talents, my time, my energy, anything you've blessed me with. God, I want to be as generous as I can, as often as I can for the benefit of your kingdom. The last thing that we see in our Timothy text and our last subpoint is that we should share what we have. It's a similar concept. I, I like that it's put twice. It says, be generous and share what you have. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I get it. I need to be generous with the money and the things that God's given me, and I need to be able to meet needs. When a need pops up in a small group, when someone has, you know, they've lost something or they have really got it, you step in. You're there saying, you know what, let me meet that need. Let me see how I can help. Let me purchase that. Let me bring that meal. Let me share what I have as a way to serve the Lord, as a way to say, thank you, God, for the things that you've blessed me with. I want to use them for your kingdom. And I know that this is a sacrifice. I know that this is difficult. I know that this is not easy to, to give up what we feel like either we've worked for or what we've saved up, but we know that God's word calls us to be generous, to give back to the church and to also give to others. And we want to honor him because we have that eternal perspective that looks past the now and onto what would please God and what would be worth it a hundred years from now. Well, the world doesn't teach this message. People in your workplace, maybe at your family gatherings, uh, you know, this is not something that you'll often hear that we should be proud of our high position because of Christ, not because of our work, and be proud of our low position because of Christ. This is not something that is talked about, but we can see that this passage really encourages us to evaluate our lives, not based on the world standards, not on material standards, but on spiritual standards, the wealth that we've been given in Christ. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says it this way. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This world is fleeting, it's passing away, it's brief. Our treasure, which is an indicator of what we really value, 
where our heart really is, should be on eternal things rather on things in this world. Let's pray. God, I do ask that you would help us. This is, is a hard thing to hear. This is a challenge for us. Living in this place, this wealthy place, living in this beautiful place, we're so grateful for it. And yet, God, it can be too easy to take our eyes off the things that please you and pursue things that don't last. God, I, I ask that you would help us to really look and evaluate our lives according to your word, to be open to change, to be open to seeing the places that need to shift and change as a result of this text in James. God, we thank you especially for our low position, the fact that you have opened the eyes of those who follow you in this room. I thank you so much for bringing Christ to this earth that we may all come before you made right with you because of his work. God, we praise you. We thank you for that. We thank you for the fact that we've got that ID card now for every day of our life, saying that we will be in heaven in your kingdom someday. Help us to boast and rejoice and praise you joyfully for that work that you've done. We pray this all in your son's precious name. Amen.